We were talking about St. Paul's uh, last epistle before he was about to be executed. Um, he was in Rome and he was speaking. His last epistle to his life and ministry, his purpose, and the burden that he has for the church, churches that he has. So we look very carefully at, at, at Paul as he writes, as we read his uh, epistle to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Um, it's his last epistle, as I said. But I think um, what, what was important also was the fact that Paul anticipated that there was a coming darkness that was coming upon the church, the fledgling church that was at Rome and in the Roman Empire. And as he did that, he writes to Timothy to prepare him. Now, Timothy is not what you would call the he-man, macho, strong guy leader of the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church was a mature, it's a substantial church. But uh, Timothy was given to timidity. Is given to um, um, fears and even stomach problems. It's okay. I think we're doing fine. If you catch my sermon notes, please give them back. Okay. <laughs> you have to. You have to choose between uh, feeling cool. After all, that's what it's all about, right? Being cool um, and uh, keeping your notes. But anyway, uh, we, were, we were talking about the, the impending darkness, and uh, I had mentioned before that uh, Paul wrote this epistle probably around AD 63. AD 64, uh, Nero uh, began to persecute the church, and many of you know in your Roman history um, that uh, the church was persecuted as a scapegoat to the fires that had taken place in Rome that had devastated about one quarter to one third of the districts in Rome. And so the, the church was about to experience tremendous persecution. And this persecution spread throughout the whole Roman Empire. He could see the darkness coming. And so in a prophetic kind of way, Paul was actually speaking to Timothy to, to get him ready for that. And when you think about intimidating and considerable uh, pressures that are going to come upon uh, a people that you have discipled, you are very, very careful to give you give the essential things that are important for the days ahead. I believe these are days that we, the church, are experiencing even now. Yeah, And so there's a, there's a certain measure of weight that Paul is, is, is giving to Timothy. So he, I think that what we see in 2 Timothy is all the most, most important things to Paul. What are the spiritual ingredients? What are the ingredients that he needs to have in order for him to not only survive but thrive? 200 years later, the whole Roman Empire had been uh, Christianized, so to speak, in some way or form. Yeah? Doesn't mean that the whole Roman Empire was on fire for God, but at least the Roman fire, uh, Empire experienced religion, Christian religion, from being religio illicita or illicit religion to religio licita, which is official religion, actually, or rather um, lawful religion. And then, of course, in Constantine, you have official religion. So you can see this is something that's really happening. We've been looking at chapter 1, now we're looking at chapter 2. So let's, I'm only, I'm only going to look at one, cha- one verse of chapter 2 actually because that verse sort of sums up everything that Paul is talking about. And if you want to know all the things that Paul's, Paul's speaking about and it's all condensed in one verse, here it is. Okay, you ready? Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's it. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's easy for us to think, well, what is grace? Grace is some kind of, what is it? And there are two things that grace is not. And perhaps we'll just get these two things out of the way. We have an idea that grace is, means gracefulness, so to speak. It's like, 
graceful dancing like a ballerina. I'll put it to you that actually grace has nothing to do with that as much as grace is about strength. This grace is not about being graceful. The other thing that we can sometimes have as a misconception of grace is that grace is this kind of thing that you have, you, you endure suffering with grace. That is, you don't kind of, how do I say this? You know how some people, when they're going through hard things, they tell everybody, they're moping around, their, their hard time is just kind of vomiting all over the place. Yeah. I'm dying for Christ. I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. It's just like the cowboy who's got shot and he's about to die. He goes into the saloon and he says, I'm going to die. And he tells the next person, give me a kiss, I'm going to die. And he tells the next person, it was nice knowing you, I'm going to die. And he goes and he holds his heart and he's going to die. And he stumbles out of the saloon and he still doesn't die. And he rides off into the wilderness, into the desert, still alive. He has not died neatly. He's messy. And we can sometimes think about grace as dying neatly. It's sort of like, I'm not messy. Kind of enduring and having the character enough to be able to be tough or to be gracious or, or graceful in death. I'll put it to you that the grace... The word grace does not mean that, actually. The grace of God means the immense godness of God. The immense power, character, and the life of God. The word grace, charis, is actually connected with the word zoe, which is the life of God. So when Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not saying, be graceful, because hard times are coming, so take it. Take it on the chin, chin up, boy, and endure. He's not saying that. He's saying, for what's about to happen, you need a power that is immense. Your power as a human being is not enough uh, when you come against the pressure to stoop down and to be corrupted. You are actually going to need the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, you have to be strong in the power of God. Yeah, it's immense. It's not something that's contracted into something that is a, a cultural nicety. It has to do with the power and the full immensity of God's God's godness, God's goodness. Amen. So Paul is very concerned that this man Timothy, who's not necessarily a person who, in the eyes of the world, would have been considered the man of power for this hour, he's not. P- Timothy is actually kind of weak. But Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my last message and you have to have it. You have to have what it takes for the, for the Ephesian church and for the churches around. And so he says, Timothy, it comes down to this. You need to be strong, not in your own strength, because it's not that much. But you need to be strong in the grace that is of Jesus Christ. The power, the charis of God. Amen? You, the grace of God is not just power to do powerful things. The grace of God has, is many dimensional. It's multidimensional. It has to do with the, the complexity of God's wisdom, His love, His character, His endurance, His fatherliness. It has to do with the fact that He is like a nursing mother, uh, in, in, uh, in, like a mother hen around His, uh, around his children, but powerful. And the grace of God has to do with the the godness, the character of God, the heart of God. Amen? It's immense. Most of us are not conduced to it. We're not conduced to the grace of God. We are kind of small. God is immense. And we don't know how to deal with God's godness. Amen? I'm going to use a small analogy. Some of you may know. A great Brazilian footballer, I mean soccer player, by the name of Luis Pacata. Luis Pacata is from Brazil. He's immense. He's a genius. He's, a, he's such a genius that um, a lot of people in his team did not, don't know how to play with him. He's so smart. He's so forward-looking. He's so great on the ball. And he's also very strong as well. 
And for the first year after this team, I won't tell you which team yet, bought him for a considerable amount of, of money. For the first year, it just didn't seem to work. And the reason why it didn't seem to work is because Luis Paqueta is so smart, he's so skillful that he can read the game three steps ahead. And so he will do things that his teammates will not understand. He's immense. Or as the British say, he's massive. He's massive. And most people don't understand how to work with God's grace because of the fact that a lot of times the way it comes, the angle in which it comes, is kind of off-putting. It's not the usual way. And so we tend to think about God. Honestly, I, I think Christians, are, the way in which we talk, talk and think about God is actually probably like just two-dimensional. Like God answers prayer or He does not answer prayer. Most Christians, they can live donkey's years as Christians. And the only thing that they got about it by the time they get to the pearly gates is, God answers prayer or He doesn't answer prayer. Come on, be honest about it. We don't know the complexity of the grace of God. Amen? We know how to say, Yay, God answered my prayer. But we don't know what to do with, Nay, He did not answer my prayer. We have this idea of God who speaks to us two words, and then all, all there is is two words, okay? Lord, please help me. Yes. Lord, please help me. No. So God only has two words, right? Yes or no. Yes or no. If you relate to God like a slot machine, or a, what, do you, what do you call these things where you can get potato chips and all these things from? Vending machine, vending machine. Slot machine is something else. Sorry. <laughs> Bet you you didn't know what I was talking about. Um, we, we relate to God as a, a vending machine. And so God only has two words. We can forget about the Bible. The Bible is not necessary. We only need two, two words. One, yes or no. The thing about it is this. When we get no, we don't know what to do with it. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about the grace of God with respect to no's and yeses as well. Because that's, that's a place where a lot of Christians get stuck, right? When God, they, they have a great need, or you're sick, or you need to pass an exam, or you need citizenship, or you need to get over some kind of legal problem, and you are looking to God. And God's constantly saying in His Bible, seek me. Because he is much more multidimensional, much more wise, much more wise than Louis Becketa. He And yet, what we ask, we are, what we want is just an answer. Give me yes or no. Is it going to turn out okay or is it not going to turn out okay? May I suggest to you that God has much more for us, much more grace, much more of his character for us because he wants to give it to us. He wants to impart it to us. So, so the problem here is this, okay? We can take yes and we can say praise the Lord. When it comes to no, we don't really know what no means when God doesn't answer our prayers. Don't you find? I find that a lot of times when I'm talking to people and, I, and they are making a decision and they don't, don't know whether to keep their job or, or leave their job or, or you know, they're in a pit, pretty pickle and they don't know what to do. What's the next step? And they tell me, God hasn't answered me yet. He hasn't, I haven't got an answer yet. I want to put it to you that actually, probably God is building the answer in you because the grace of God is with you. And Paul faced such a situation and we sometimes interpret that situation wrongly. If you can look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the famous thorn in the flesh, okay? And we tend to use that passage to look at issues of divine healing and not healing as well. So let's have a look at this. Um, we can read this from verse, uh, verse 7. Because of the surprising greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. We don't really know what that thorn in the flesh is, but it's like a messenger from Satan. It could have been a certain set of circumstances in which he's constantly hitting um, demonic opposition, or it could be a sickness. We don't know. I don't know whether it's a literal thorn in the flesh, but it was not pleasant. Verse 8, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Please, Lord, let this leave me. Three, please, Lord, let this leave me. Please, Lord, let this leave me. Three times, stretched out over, I'm sure, several, several days and months. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. There's that word grace. And I think, honestly, I think this verse did it for the word grace. People don't like the word grace. It's like, no. Heal me, Lord. No. So the word is, heal me, Lord. Grace. Translate that as no. What do you think? All right. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Wow, perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell on me. Now, most Christians only read the first part. Lord, take this away from me. No. Oh, my grace is sufficient for me. But Paul is saying this. There is a grace which is equivalent to God's power, for my power is perfected in weakness. He's saying that it's not a simple matter of yes and no. He's saying, actually, yes. He's actually saying behind the no is a greater yes. That you may be experiencing something which is not necessarily what you specified you wanted, but God's going to give you something far greater, far, far more immense, more massive than you asked for if you know how to play with Louis Paqueta. If you don't know how to do it, you're just going to shut it down in two dimensions and say, well, it was yes or no, no. What Paul is saying, he says, my power is, God said, my power is made perfect in weakness, and it's in weakness that I'm going to show you far greater colors, different dimensions, different angles, different facets, different like, like a diamond, like precious stones, of my power, my grace, and my character for you. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly, most gladly will I glory in my infirmities or my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul is saying is this, the payoff is not just that I will get the thorn taken away from me. God knows me deeply. God knows me deeply. When I ask God a question, He is answering me deeper than the question that I ask. God never looks at us superficially. He's not capable of that. God looks at us deeply. So that when we ask Him a superficial question, He answers us deeply, so deeply that sometimes the one who's asking the question doesn't understand what the answer is. It says, Most gladly therefore will I glory, or I rejoice, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul is saying is this, I ask for the thorn to be removed, God is going to cause His power to rest upon me. It's far greater, far more massive, far more immense than what we even ask for Him. And that is part of the misunderstanding we sometimes have with God. Because God is going on this level, and we are going on the shallow level. And so we're asking God, 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 asking God for candies, and he's giving us steak, man, wagyu steak. He wants to give us something far greater. And he knows that that's what we really, really want. So what we mostly ask God for is secondary ones. I need to pass my exam. Therefore, I need this person to not come and see me. Lord, please let this person not come and see me. Lord, I need this person not to come to see me. And this person comes to see me. God said no. But what can sometimes happen is that God gives you something far greater because the person came to see you. What say you? So God is, He plays different from us. 
He plays different. His play is deeper. His play is deeper. And the no is the cover for the greater yes. I was, um, actually I've shared this before, so some of you, you please bear with me. My, uh, when we went to England in 1985, we met a doctor who was also a pastor of a, a church. Um, and Dr. Franklin um, began a correspondence with us. And he came and visited my, the churches that I was pastoring in Malaysia. Um, and uh, he was really moved, maybe touched by what God was wanting to do. And he wanted his son to experience God's reality in his life. But his son had gone away from the Lord. He was a stockbroker, a very successful stockbroker in London. So the thing about it is that um, when he brought his son, though, his son was very, very cynical, skeptical, and mocking throughout the whole trip, almost the whole trip. And his father asked me, can I bring my son to your church? Okay. I've got to warn you, he's very, very skeptical and his words are very cutting. Yeah. The best you can get from him is he'll just keep quiet, a muted and sullen silence for you. I said, okay, let's do it. So I was keen to let the son know that we are not incompetent dolts, that we are Christians and we are quite normal. Fair enough? Yeah, fair enough. This guy, his son, is a very competent uh, stockbroker, has no time for any kind of weakness. So we were supposed to leave for one of the churches, Kwantan Church, at 5.30 in the morning. So we were going to go to the airport earlier so that we can catch the flight from 5, at 5.30 and it would take us to Kwantan, that, that, that town. So I waited for someone from my church to actually give us a lift. So he was supposed to wake up at, I don't know, some unearthly hour, 3.45, to take us. At 4.30, he had not shown up. And there was Andrew. So, when is he coming? And I'm, I'm sweating bricks, right? Lord, give us a good testimony. Please, 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 please. Finally, I called him, the guy who was supposed to pick us up, and he was still asleep. I woke him up. Quickly, didn't look that way. I just like. He picked us up, got us to the. The app, the, the app would do a mirror. of our uh, taxi ride from Kuala Lumpur where we were to Kuantan where we were going. I've got to tell you, the taxi ride was horrible. It was a terrible taxi ride. We did not say a word for four and a half hours. And they started speaking all kinds of, of, of languages and all that. I thought, wow, this is great. The grace is flowing. After that, I said, Andrew, what happened? Now, instead of being sullen, he was talking. He just couldn't stop talking. He started telling his life story, right? Telling his life story. And we were just rejoicing. 
It's one o'clock in the morning now, and he's still telling his story. And then Andrew got really serious. He says, do you know what made me open? I was so close. I was thinking my dad is a nutcase. He said, when you missed the flight, I was looking at you, and you just were smiling. I don't know when I smile. I don't know how I got that smile in. But he said, you were so peaceful. I want to know what that's all about. Isn't that amazing? I need the, the real game, okay? The real game was not whether we got onto the flight or not. That is not the game. That is not the game changer. The game changer was how we would respond after the flight was missed. What say you? So may I suggest to you that actually when we talk about being strong in the grace of God, here we are talking about something in which we are open to the Lord, we are, we are, we are resting on the Lord, we are looking for Him. We're not just shutting down the, the case when God doesn't answer our, our, our middling prayers, but actually we are seeking for Him, we are opening ourselves to Him. We're realizing that we're playing with someone who's more skillful, more wise, more powerful than us. It's almost as if we have to learn His language. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, if, you, if you're going to be facing the darkness ahead, AD 64, serious persecution. AD 67, persecution spread far and wide. Thousands of Christians were, were killed. That was probably one of the, the most severe persecutions that I've ever, ever, ever experienced in the early church. By AD 70, some of you know this, the temple was destroyed, the the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, had a, a, a movement that was anti-Roman, and they seemed to be winning some battles at first. AD 70, Titus comes in, General Titus comes in, and he destroys the, Jerusalem, destroys the temple, puts the, the idols into the, the, into the place where the temple was. This is what we call the, the desolation of, of, of uh, abomination. Yeah? And, and from that time onwards, Jews were scattered all over the place. It happened again in 8135. Again, forever, forever the ten tribes of, of Israel um, were lost. Paul knew all this was happening, and so he, he was saying, you need to be of a different kind of substance. You cannot play baby Christianity anymore. You can't play two-dimensional Christianity. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. That's not good enough. Not enough to ask the Urim and the Turim. You have to know God more. And so what Paul is saying is this, the occasion for the grace of God, that's the manifold grace of God, the multidimensional grace of God, not just a circle, but a whole orb of God's love is something that to be known even in disappointment, even when you are experiencing your weakness. So let's talk a little bit more about this grace of God, okay? It's often experienced... Not as a yes/no thing, but it's as a as a situation in which uh, we experience untoward circumstances. Yeah. Um, now let's just like, like to have a look at another passage of scripture that may, may perhaps give us some keys to experiencing the grace of God. If you can turn with me to Luke chapter eight, Luke chapter eight. The thing about the way in which we tend to misunderstand God's grace is that when you get enough no's happening, you preclude God from moving in situations that are tight, tight situations. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough space, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough brains, I don't have enough skill, I don't have enough talent, I don't have enough any, whatever it is, I don't have enough character, I don't have enough uh, of a good upbringing, I don't have any, enough whatever it is. And we can actually write the script, we write the story, we can write the story preemptively, And our story is rewritten prejudicially 
because of the fact that when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers and we come to situations that seem tight or some that seem um, difficult to understand, we actually preemptively write a story based on no, don't you think? That's why I love this, the song that we sang. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Shannon and Daniel. Out of the cross, you rewrite our story. Yeah? So let's have a look at this with that in mind. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. It's a very well-known story to those of you who, who have been reading your Bible uh, for a number of years. And there are parts of the story that are not actually relevant to what I have to share with you, but they are important. Okay, okay we'll read it from verse 40. Okay, reading Luke chapter 8, reading from verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Yeah, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now this part that power uh, was going out to me, does not mean that Jesus was feeling, Ooh, I got less power now. He means... Power was activated, yeah? Going out means like not going out as in now less, but actually means going out and activated because God, Jesus had infinite power for him, okay? This, this, so, so he wasn't, wasn't saying, ooh, I feel weak. No, that's not what he was saying, okay? Um, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came, to the, came from the house of the synagogue, synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. And when they were all weeping and lament lamenting for her, he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. But they began laughing at him, knowing that they had, she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned. And she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Now you see, here's two stories, right? Actually, the story should have gone this way. Okay. Verse 40, as Jesus returned, and then verse 42, as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. All right. So he's been asked by Jairus to come to his house. Okay. That's the story. Verse 43 to verse 48 where this woman with a hemorrhage comes in, gets kind of spliced in to this story, which continues after that little incident. Uh, we call it a pericope. In that little incident, so there's this part before, Jesus meets Jairus, and Jairus is saying, come to my house, come to my house, my daughter is dying, and you can feel the rhythm of it, right? You're feeling, you've got to rush, we've got to rush, we've got to go, we've got to go. And so you can feel Jesus being rushed to Jairus' house, correct? And then you see this bit in the middle, you know, <laughs> very inconveniently put there. And then after that, when this is over, then Jairus, 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 the girl gets healed on time, okay? But she had died already. She had actually died. In fact, after time, right? Too late. After time. But what I want to share with you is the part that's in the middle. The not-so-important story, okay, perhaps. 
the part that got 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 sliced in between, that spliced in between, that part where the woman, the woman with the issue of blood comes in from the back. It's almost as if this woman with the issue of blood came in from the backside. It took she took the back door into the story. It's like. Luke is telling this great story. Oh, Jesus was doing these things. He was called Jairus. It was a very, 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 very urgent thing. Go, Jesus. Go, go, go. Go faster. Go faster. Boop. Woman with issue of blood comes in and interrupts the story. And after that, she's done. Okay, okay. Quickly, rush, 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 rush. Oh, too late. It's almost as if this story that's spliced into the middle, that kind of got edged into the middle, is not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be there. And it's not part of the story. It's not part of the story. It's actually, it doesn't have a place. It doesn't have a place. And yet, I believe God put it there because He wants us to know that whenever you don't have the place, where you feel you're not legitimate, where you feel that your situation is too small, too, too, too minute, too unimportant, God can make a place for it. Amen? So that's a story that should not even be there. Let's look at this story that should not be there, okay? Because all that speaks to me of the grace of God. Because the grace of God is undeserved, unearned, and totally of God. It is not amenable to your manipulation or my manipulation. It's not amenable to all the agendas that I have for it. It is something that is of God. It's from God's side. Amen? You can't change him. You can't manipulate him. You can't force, force him. You can't strong arm him. It comes from heaven and he's put there. And it's put there and it's available for you and me even though you feel you're not part of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, because of the fact that many times we feel that we're not part. We have such a spirit of rejection, a spirit of, 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 um, of indolence that causes us to just feel, it's just not me, it's just, it's just not, not for me, it's for someone else. Someone else more spiritual perhaps, someone else more gifted than that, but not for me. But Jesus does this, the grace of God flows not according to what we think we, uh, we, we should be having. Not according to our importance, because I guess Jairus was an important guy. He's the leader of the synagogue. But this woman, who'd she? In fact, not only is she not supposed to be there, she actually was not supposed to be there in the crowd because she had an issue of blood. She's considered unclean. If she was discovered, who was not supposed to be there, if she was discovered... She would have been stoned. But here she is. She's absolutely desperate. And for 12 years, you bet that she's been praying for healing. And the healing never came. The healing never came. Talk about a thorn in the flesh for 12 years. And yet, though the narrative is tends to make us believe that everything's going to be a no. Jesus took trouble to put that in, so to speak, in the narrative. And so here she comes. Not supposed to be there. Lah. Not supposed to be there. Not supposed to be there, but Jesus put her there. And I want to put it to you that actually that's how... The dynamics sometimes work with our, our spiritual life. We're not supposed to have that. We're not supposed to have answers to prayer. We, we script our own life and we say, yeah, it's going to be like, like that. It's going to be a no. It's yes or no, no. Yes or no, no. Most of the time it's no. So most of this time now, it's going to be no. And she, and she comes in. And she, she's desperate enough to think, I'd rather die. I'd rather get stoned than to continue this for the next 12 years. But there's a portal that she, she, she enters in. And may I say that this portal into the grace of God that makes everything turn from two-dimensional, yes or no, to multi-dimensional is the cross. When she comes to, to, to Jesus and she realizes there are all these people in front of me, 
Even Jesus, I don't know what Jesus is going to do. I don't know whether he's going to accept me or reject me. But if the basis in which I'm asking for healing is me disobeying the law, then God help me. So she comes and she meets the portal, but she recognizes something. That in spite of all the Pharisees and the oral tradition that the rabbis had, there was one thing that was in Jesus. It was this word that was in Numbers chapter 15 that said that when men, the priesthood as well as men in general in the law of Moses, wear an outer garment, they have to wear on the corners of that outer garment, titsit, a blue fringe. So every man in his outer garments would have a little blue fringe on the corner. Yeah? Or, and it would be a, a little blue band. Just there. Not big, small. And it has a tassel. Numbers chapter 15 says, but Moses says, you are to look at that tassel and you keep looking at that tassel. Okay? You keep looking at that tassel because that tassel will call you to not look as man looks, not according to your own way. And the blue was, began to be seen as the color of heaven. And this woman has very little space. She has little legitimacy, but she's counting on the grace of God, the godness of God. In Mark chapter 6, there were other people who also understood this scripture. And therefore, Mark chapter 6, verse, I believe, 56, it says, there were people who were wanting to touch the blue, the hem of his garment. They were wanting to touch so that they could be healed. So that in spite of the, of the fact that there was no place for her, and the, the odds were stacked against her. She's not even in the story. She's not even in the story. It's another story. This is just story about Jairus, not about you. She comes in, and she comes from behind. No front door to, it, to the whole thing. No, nothing to support him, ex- support her, except for this thing. That there is a thing called the titsit, or the tassel, that is worn by every man, and it would remind you of heaven and it would remind you of the promises of God. Amen? The promises of God. It is said in Malachi chapter, chapter 5, is it? That the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. These were called the wings. The corners in which the, the tassel was, was, was placed were called wings. Okay, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they call those wings. So when Malachi is talking about the Son of Righteousness rising with healing in his wings, he's actually literally saying, in the wings, it will remind you of healing. Amen? I have not lost you yet, have I? Okay, good. Because what she did was this. It all boiled down to one small space in which she was counting on the fact that the immensity of God would undo 12 years of suffering, of draining out of, uh, of, of complete no's, what it seemed to be a no, that she was counting on the fact that if she could grab hold of that blue, healing would flow. The better translation for, I'm using the NASB, it says, if, if I could touch the hem of his garment, a better translation is to grab, okay, grab hold of, pull, actually. Another word is pull. So it was not just tapping. She grabbed hold or pulled the hem of his garment. And when he pulled on it, she believed that immensity would flow. That is how I believe Paul wanted Timothy to be strong in the grace of God. Amen? In spite of the nose, in spite of the the discouragements in despite despite of of very little space for him. In spite of all that. What say you? The immensity, the immense infinite power of God, the largeness of God flows into small spaces. And you may feel that you have only a small space. 
you may feel you have only a, a small amount of power or money or strength or resources. I mean, I said, let's suggest to you that our imagination needs a re- overhaul. We have to think about God's fullness and his Im- immensity flowing to small spaces. Small spaces. The space that you offer to him looks like it's not big enough. But God is working. 1936, Reese Howells and the students at Wales Bible College sense that something very evil was about to take place in Europe. Hitler was on the rise, but at that time, not that prominent, okay? Not that prominent. And most people, including Neville Chamberlain and the rest of the, the British uh, people, did not consider him too much of a, a threat. They thought that he could be appeased. And then what happened is this. They began to pray. And as they began to pray, 1936, 37, 38, 39, World War II began to break out. And it happened so quickly because the Luftwaffe and the German forces were so powerful and so strong that they bulldozed the low, what you call the low countries, Belgium, the Netherlands, and all that, and were there at France's door, and they were there at, at England's door. Before long, 1940, France fell already. And the people, in, there was about 100 people at, at Wales Bible College, had already been sharing with the rest of Britain about the danger and the, and the call to intercession. And Britain began to start calling for intercession. King George VI, who was a godly man, for the first time asked the nation to pray because Britain was in deep, serious trouble. 1940, 1940, the Germans were pushing and pushing and pushing and had got the French and the Allies in a pincer grip. And it's inescapable at Dunkirk. At Dunkirk, 338,000 French and British troops were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. Yeah? May 1940. They prayed. And if you read the, 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 the prayer journals of uh, Wales Bible College, they talked about the fact that as this, these days began to take place in May, the burden got stronger and stronger and stronger. But they prayed. They prayed. But only 100 pe- people were in that, that college. And every day they would receive the news. Every day they received the news. But through this 100 people, and I'm sure many others, the whole nation was Christian or non-Christian, mobilized into prayer. Dunkirk, the evacuation, happened miraculously. The weather report was that it was going to be sunny and also choppy in the sea. The word had gone out even in prayer, and in that any kind of fr- boat, anyone who had a boat, any private citizen who had a boat, big or small, mobilize it for, the, for His Majesty's use and help to, to um, evacuate these soldiers, 338,000 soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk. But the weather was supposed to be terrible. These boats would be completely smashed in the waves. But prayer took place. Took place. In May, I think on May 28th, there was, for the whole day, there were about seven to 800 small and large boats that had been mobilized, I believe, by prayer to get these guys. And the sun was hidden. The clouds were thick. The Luftwaffe could not see anything. The Luftwaffe is the German um, um, Air Force could not see anything. The sea was completely calm. Later, we found out that actually, on the 24th of May, Hitler inexplicably told the German advancing forces to stop. We have no idea why. 
even today in our modern history uh, research, we don't know why. Something happened. Hitler called them back. It was just enough time for the flotilla of ships and boats and tugs to evacuate almost pretty much all the, all the soldiers and everything was safe. And Britain still considers this a miracle of God. Isn't that amazing? The, Im- the immensity of God is poured into small spaces. Small spaces. And if you come to those small spaces and you find that God is, seems to be saying no, stop. Because behind any answer of God is a greater yes. That's why the Bible says the promises of God not, are not yea and nay. It is yea and amen. Yeah and amen. Always yes, but not yes the way you think. It's a greater yes behind the no. Amen? And, and that's what God did. You know, I'll tell you one more story before we, we close. I was supposed to go to Australia. And uh, so already supposed to speak in Perth. And uh, I uh, went to the airport. My brother took me and my family took me to the airport to say goodbye. I lined up in front of the Malaysian Airlines uh, counter. And the guy in front of me, I overheard the, the, the MAS personnel, the Malaysia Airlines personnel said, can I see your visa? I could see that he had a Malaysian passport. I looked around and said, visa? Visa? What, what, what visa? And I realized I did not have a visa. I had taken it for granted that a person with a Malaysian passport can go anywhere in the Commonwealth without the visa. And I, I said, what visa? Soon it was my time. And immediately, of course, he said, you don't have a visa? I said, I don't have a visa. You can't go in. You can't, you can't even board the plane, let alone get, get to Australia. What can I do? I asked. Okay, look, there is a one-hour um, application you can make for a visa. And if you have a computer now, apply for it immediately. Thank God my brother brought his laptop. Why he did so, I don't know why. I started, you know, typing and applying for that visa. And just as I was about to press enter. It said, our system is down. Um, Apply in the next few hours. I did not have that time. We were supposed to go into the plane already. I said, must be wrong, must be wrong. So I tried again. This time I put it in and it was exactly past time. And I put enter, and again it said, our system is down. I didn't know what to do. I went back to the counter and lined up as if nothing had happened. Because I had been praying, Lord, 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 Lord. You know how when you get desperate, say, Lord, please, 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 all the way to the to the end of to the front of the queue. Please, 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 please. And I said, here you are. I had nothing. It was exactly the same passport, the same nothing there. And he says, okay, you can go in. What? I went in through through there, and then I realized, okay, I'm gonna have to meet the immigration people in Australia. We'll see what happens. While I was there, I was reading all the literature about all the punishments that will happen to people who come in without a without a visa. visa. And it was at that time I needed to experience the grace of God, not as a yes or a no. Lord, I'm in this pickle. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I took this for granted. I need your help right now. And the Lord actually, during that period, I kept my eyes upon him. I kept my eyes just like the woman with the issue of blood, with the hemorrhaging. I just held on to him like that. Just held on. No words. No words. 
held on to that, to that, to the Lord. Finally, we, the day, the, the moment came for us to reach Australia. Never have I been so averse to arriving at a destination. Lots of people in the queue. I waited for over an hour. And the guys who were there were very, very strict. Australia is very strict as far as food is concerned. No durians, no nothing. You just can't bring stuff in. And finally, I saw them scolding the few people in front of me. And I was upset. My script was, my story was, no, 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 including me, no. I went to the front of the queue and presented my Malaysian passport. You know what he said? Good day, mate. Welcome to Australia. I don't know how. It may be that the Lord blinded his eyes, or it may be that in that sliver of time, that small space of time, something went through. And I understood what it means to have the grace of God. Whenever you're tempted to say yes or no from God, or think that God is saying yes or no, remember this. It's always yes and the grace of God. No is something else. Amen? Let us pray. Praise you, Jesus. Let's worship the Lord and praise, praise His name. He is glorious. He's wonderful. Where is there a God that says the promises of God are not yea and nay, but yea and amen, even though it's not the way we want to, to be, not the way we envisaged. So I want to invite you, if you are in a situation where all you've heard is no, when all you've heard is bad news, or you felt that you have so little, so little resources, so little results, so little people for you, with, with you on your side, you feel you're alone, you feel that your resources are limited, or if you feel that there's something in your psychology that constantly preempts no, I wonder whether you would like to just lift all this up to the Lord. We welcome you, Lord. Is it true that you have a yes every time, even though it's not our yes, that you know us better than we do ourselves? Is it true that you have an answer for that is redemptive in every situation, even though we've experienced a bunch of no's? We welcome you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. So I invite you in these next few moments to just bring these things before the Lord. God is training us in the days to come to not be intimidated by negatives. He's preparing us for days ahead where discouragement Abandonment, separation, pruning will come our way. And it's so easy to be discouraged and be defeated by these things. And yet the Lord has given us time to prepare ourselves. Perhaps he's training you. I do believe he is. So that you know his ways. Some of us have experienced disappointment to particular answers to prayer. But the story is not over. Lord, we thank you that you who look in the depths of our heart know us better than we know ourselves. There are situations that we desire, but it doesn't look like things are going in our favor. We present them to you too. 
I wonder whether you have a situation in which disappointment makes you just want to shut down and walk away from it so that it will not be so painful. And the Lord said, no, bring me in. I'm here. I'm knocking at your door. Even in weakness. Even in when the options are not open to you and you are not in control over the situation. Some are even overwhelmed by situations. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Praise your name, Lord. We bless your name. We thank you, Lord. We give you our whole life. Even the way we interpret things, the way in which we want our life to be, we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.